The following is a best of episode of Real Presence Live, featuring some of our best segments throughout the past year. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Real Presence Live. It's this really powerful sense of, okay, you're seen, you're known, you're missed if you're not here. Local. It's that good crop of corn or beans or wheat or whatever it is that you do that, you know, you grow it, you grow it to the Lord, and if it doesn't come about, you just have to be patient and say, well, there's always next year. Engaging. Evangelization is the fruit of the love of God being poured into the hearts of Jesus' friends. Live. This is our charism, to be witnesses of Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist. Good morning, I'm Heather Carroll. And I'm Father Paul Rutten. And we're broadcasting this morning from sunny Sioux Falls, from St. Mary's Parish here in Sioux Falls. Father Paul Rutten is the pastor at the Church of St. Mary. Do you call it the Church of St. Mary or St. Mary's? Well, it's it's a huge issue because it's actually technically Immaculate Heart of Mary Parish. Oh my. But no, we all have it wrong. Yeah, we all have it wrong. But here in Sioux Falls, we all call it St. Mary. St. Mary's. So. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Father Paul is the third brother, well, not the only, you know, there's yeah. more Rutten brothers, but <laughs> we've had Joe Rutten and Father John Rutten, and now we save the best for last. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, I like that. <laughs> Father Paul Rutten is joining us this morning as my co-host. It's his first time, so be gentle with him. Yes, please. <laughs> I'm excited. So you actually know our first guest. I do. I do, actually. Uh, I've known him. I was a seminarian at uh, Christ the King. You know, one of the things is seminarians, they send you to various parishes. uh, And I met Michael. Uh, He was part of that. They used to have a seven o'clock mass. Mm -hmm. There was a whole crew of people. uh, And I met Michael there. And what's unique about it is uh, his last name is my mother's maiden name. So Donnelly. My mother was a Donnelly of the North End. Okay. We're not related as far as we know, but we could be with the he way could be. with the whole of his life stories. <laughs> we'll well, Michael inspired. is our inspired story Sharing this morning. And so we're going to head right into it. I don't what? know if Michael knew he was inspired. <laughs> oh, I think he No, I had I had no idea. I had <laughs> well, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us this morning. Morning, Michael. Well, th- good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me today. I appreciate it. Father Paul, great to hear your voice and uh I appreciate the folks at Real Presence Radio for allowing me the opportunity to share a little bit of what God has done for me. Well, we're so excited to have you on. Your story is one that many are familiar with. Um, It might not be theirs specifically, but they either are in the middle of this story or they know someone who is. And so we're really excited to be uh, talking about um, your story today. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Where does your story start, Michael? Um. Well, it, you know, it goes back, I think, um, to my early teens, you know, just sort of like any other kid, you know, kind of kicking cans around the alleys of Chicago and uh, um, had really, really uh, fine family, uh, never felt unloved or sometimes the stereotypical feelings that people have when when we talk about these kinds of issues. That was not my case. I always felt loved, always felt paid attention to, um, always felt cared for my my mom uh, was a tremendous, tremendous lady, uh, sacrificed a lot to keep my sister and I in, in Catholic school. Um, my uh, my father passed away when, when I was a young boy, six years old. He was a police lieutenant in the city of Chicago, and um, just a tremendous man. I had great examples around me uh, at every turn, 
at every turn, including the priests and nuns who taught me in school, you know. Uh, so pretty typical uh, Southside Irish Catholic family. Um, any reason to have a party, you had one. Um, and if there was no reason, you made a reason up. And uh, we just had we had some fun, and there was nothing destructive about any of it. It was celebratory. Um, it was, for some reason, and I truly even to this day don't know why, nor frankly today I don't even really care why, um, I, just, um, I just drank differently than other people. Um, from the earliest uh, times of sort of teenage experimentation, uh, it just seemed to fit me hand in glove. And, uh, of course, that, um, uh, that, that, that seemed fine, but, uh, it, it, you know, it, as it has a tendency to do, turned its, uh, turned its fangs on me and bit pretty hard. So, yeah. so you said you had your first drink when you were a teenager. Was that like in high uh, school or what, how did it begin? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I guess the regular drinking began in high school. Uh, there was some experimentation in grammar school here and there. Um, you know, and it was, not, again, just pretty simple stuff about growing up. But um, as I compared myself in hindsight, couldn't see it at the yeah. time, I drank significantly different than my peers sure. Um, sure. to excess, excess every, almost or nearly every time. And uh, that's not what they were doing, you know. Right. Um, but that's what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember talking to a woman, and she said uh, she never understood why kids would leave half the bottle. Like mm-hmm. they would go out on a Friday night. She's like, some kids would just save half the bottle for the next night. She's like, well, why would you? Why would you save it? Like, oh, really? drink yeah. it, and you'll get sure. more tomorrow. Like she just, and she just said she couldn't wrap her mind around it. Yeah. Like, but it, it was the beginning, you know to see that somebody looks at this in a different way. Yeah. It's an interesting phenomenon. Like, um, I felt really uncomfortable, um, just being me. Um, again, nobody, nobody kind of told me that, uh, nobody influenced me in a negative way that I can recall to to have me have those sort of thoughts. Um, but they were, they were there and I, and, and what drinking did for me is it sort of made those things go away. It sort of allowed me to pretend to be somebody different. Um, I was, you know, as most kids, right, insecure, a little, yep. little sensitive about things, felt a little off in terms of my dad dying. Wasn't really sure how to discuss that or didn't really have the language to even discuss it if the topic came up. Sure. Um, and so, you know, not that any of those things are excuses. It's just that my, my, authentic, my true experience that sure. I felt just different and what yep. drinking made me feel is normal. And I think for people who don't have a problem, drinking makes them feel a little abnormal. Yeah. Whereas sure. drinking makes made sense. drinking made me feel as though I perceived other people felt. Now that oh, wow. that may not okay. be true. May not be right. true. But but it, it it did do that for me. It helped me perceive that I now felt like everyone else already felt. Oh wow. You're listening to the best of Real Presence Live. Currently, our hosts are visiting with Michael Donnelly about how God led him from alcoholism to a new life. I find it fascinating to dive into the mind of an alcoholic um, because I think it's invaluable to understand that thought process. So, you know, you, you, when did you realize that you weren't drinking like other people drank? Um, well, I, um, I felt probably my mid teens, I felt well, like, you know, I was probably a little bit past the line here. I needed to sure. settle down a little bit. Sure. Um, 
went into uh, the latter part of high school, missed many, many days of school because of it, oh. uh, went off to college, um, eventually ended up, um, you know, sort of leaving that institution because of leaving that institution because of, uh, uh, of some drinking and being irresponsible sure. and, and, you know, not attending to responsibilities the way yeah. a college student should. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the water continued to rise around my neck. And, right. and so I, uh, I ran, that's what happened. Okay. And, uh, and that's sometimes what people have a problem with alcohol do is they run, right. They, mm-hmm. they find people to blame. They find reasons why their life is going awry. Right. Um, and they need scapegoats. Right. They need people around them to blame. Sure. And uh, and so, you know, that's uh, I, I think I took the pretty typical role there. You know, I, yep. I had some issues and they continued to to excel. And the higher they got or the worse they got, I uh, I needed more people to blame. Hmm. Well, if you're just tuning in, uh, this is Real Presence Live, and I'm Heather Caro, and I'm here with Father Paul Rutten, and we're talking this morning with Michael Donnelly. He's just starting his story of alcoholism and um, kind of taking us through that journey um, of becoming aware of his alcoholism. So what was the breaking point for you, or was there just one breaking point? I know a lot of times with addicts, there's more than one breaking point or... Uh, bottom of the barrel type situation. What was it like for you? How did you come around? Well, uh, just to just to clarify a little bit, I I I, uh, I think there's a, a, a very large experiential difference, oftentimes with people who not that people don't use multiple substances because I think that they do, um, but I I just want to be clear for the for the people who are listening, like alcoholism and uh, an addiction like methamphetamine or cocaine or whatever those other addictions might be that enslave people, very, very different phenomena, not, okay. not sure. close to the same. And we, um, we, we find that um, in today's sort of recovery circles, the, uh, um, the rounding up of all things and putting them in one basket is sort of mm. forming and shaping place. There's a, there's a lot of reasons for that. Not, not sure. necessarily time today to go into that, but, um, so some of the experiences that other people may have had with different substances, like I just don't have experience with, but right. when it came, when it came to, um, my beginning to be aware that there was a change and needed to know that I needed to do something, um, there was no one particular event. Uh, it was a, a smattering of events. Uh, family was, uh, upset and extraordinarily disappointed with my behavior. Um, I had a fiance who had left. Um, I had a job that was, um, was probably the only thing I was excelling at was my career. Um, but I felt inside that that wasn't, um, authentic either. Um, I had some friends that maybe kind of didn't, they were kind of disillusioned with my behavior as well. I began to see it through the eyes of other people who had the courage to speak that to me. And, uh, and I'm glad they did. I mean, I wasn't at the moment, but I'm certainly glad in hindsight that they did. So <laughs> yep. other people came. Other people came around and started telling me the truth, yeah, and uh, yeah. that'll that'll always disrupt the mind that lies to you is someone yeah. else telling you the truth. Yeah. yeah. So when you're talking about behaviors, what kind of things were you doing, if you don't mind sharing a little bit? Yeah. No, I think you know um, it, it just was a, a situation where you know you you begin to sort of corrode. Um, you know, you um, you walk up to a line and you say, "I'm not cross. This is I am not crossing this line." Uh, and then two steps over, and you know, well, then you have to 
you know, now that you're past it, you clearly have to justify the passing of that. And, uh, and then once that's done, you have to draw another line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it just went on and on uh, with the line drawing. And most of it had to do with just, you know, it, it was sort of this odd dichotomy, right? Like, you, I really wanted to connect with people and really wanted to, to sort of be okay with life. I wanted to excel at life. I, I felt like I had some potential. I felt like I could do some good things in, in the world. And, um, and unfortunately, I just couldn't get any traction. Um, and so, again, you know, just continually selfish behaviors would arise. You know, lies would be told, manipulation of other people, um, you know, treating the people that you care about just awfully, saying terrible things to my mom. You know, uh, people who cared about me and loved me really caught the brunt of my anger at myself. Uh, I would say I was angry at them, but it was only because, again, they were back to that circle, right? They were telling me the truth. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. It was frustrating me. Um, and so, you know, I would, it didn't change my behavior in those moments, but, but it would enrage me. It would sure. anger me. Sure. Um, and, uh, So you realized at one point, we only have a minute, we're going to take a quick break here in just a minute, and then we'll be back more with Michael Donnelly. Um, So you realized at this point that you had a problem. And so we're going to kind of dive more into that um, after this quick break and see how just how you came out and what has worked for you in recovery. So we're going to take a quick break, everybody, when we come back more with Michael Donnelly. You're listening to the best of Real Presence Live. Currently, our hosts are visiting with Michael Donnelly about how God led him from alcoholism to a new life. Inspired. Sharing your journey. Welcome back. I'm Heather Caro. And I'm Father Paul Rutten. And we are talking this morning with Michael Donnelly on Real Presence Live. It's our inspired segment. Michael has been sharing with us this morning his journey with alcohol and realizing that he might have a problem with alcohol. And so we're kind of diving into the second half of his story this morning. If you wanted to hear the beginning, you can always come and listen to it again on our uh, yourcatholicradiostation.com. So Michael... You realize that you don't have a normal relationship with alcohol that others might have. What was the turning point for you? When did you start to seek help? Well, I was uh, I was in a bit of a uh, of a trial. Um, there was nothing, not a legal trial, but just a sort of a, a life trial. Yeah. Really, wasn't sure exactly what to do, and um, it was a pretty emotional time. Uh, things were beginning to fall apart pretty significantly in my family, and. Um, again, relationships were sort of breaking around me. Um, and I, and there was a gentleman who was in my life. Uh, his name was Brian. Brian lives in South Carolina now, but we worked together in Chicago. And, um, Brian had been a, uh, um, a member of a group that is, uh, in the process of recovering from alcoholism. And, um, and we were chatting about, uh, things over the last prior, few months prior to that. And he had kind of seen this particular day was, uh, uh, it was a bad day for me, and he came alongside me, and we had a very, very long heart-to-heart about what Brian had experienced, and didn't really talk about me very much, but we talked about Brian, and oh. I just seemed to connect with what he, what his story was. I seemed to connect with his brokenness, his need oh. for God, um, his loneliness, uh, no matter what he kind of shoved into that sort of proverbial God-shaped hole, he just, it, it wouldn't fill him up. Yep. And when he talked at that level, when he talked at a soulful level to me, rather than 
you know, your drinking is bad. You right. need to modify. You need to quit. When he talked about his brokenness, I connected with that. Mm. And, uh, and that was the beginning of, of a change in my life that I'm very, very grateful for. Um, oh. He put me in contact with some people that, uh, that are on that journey as well. Um, and, I, and I met a gentleman. His name was Joe. And um, Joe kind of walked me through the process that he took. Um, one of surrendering to God, inventorying your life, um, somewhat of a, of a confession process, I guess. Sure. Um, you know, and then, and then the really the beautiful part, the part that I found the most grace in, uh, of all those, uh, steps along the journey were, uh, really the amends process, going back to the people that I had harmed oh, and yeah. making restitution for them, not just, you know, not just going to a confessional and sort of pouring my heart out to God there, but, but taking it out of that confessional and, and trying to put shoes on it and hands on it yeah. and, and making a change in my life with those people. And uh, that was, uh, I think that was the precursor to, to a moment of grace that I, I couldn't have really orchestrated or designed myself. Right. So at this point, you, you talked about growing up and going to Catholic school and, and um, the influence that had at the point when you, started to seek recovery, where was God amidst all of this? Well, if you'd asked me then, uh, I would have said he clearly had no desire to be around me at all. Um, but in hindsight, looking back, uh, he had his arms wrapped around me the whole time. Um, you know, it's funny, I have a really good friend that says, you know, sometimes we see grace in the things that happen. But more often, if we really have good eyes, we can see grace in the things that didn't happen that probably should have happened. (laughs) And the the truth is, right, I should have been in significantly more trouble than I ever got into. As as rotten and as one-sided as I thought life was against me, uh, the truth is it was God had a great bend of goodness toward me. And uh, it just took some new eyes to kind of see that. Um, and, And so that process cleaned that up. You know, when, when we start addressing the lies in our head, we stop needing the things that avoid us to quit looking at those lies. Sure. And, um, and so by going to my mom, by going to my sister, by writing a letter to my dad at his grave and addressing the things that were going on in my heart about those folks, um, you know, I, I, I began to sort of heal up a little bit. And then I think every time we heal, every time sort of a different layer of the onion gets peeled away, um, you know, we can see Jesus in a much more clear picture. Um, I, I liken it to going to an optometrist or maybe an ophthalmologist, mm. and you sit there in this chair, and they put down this little submarine mask in front of you, and they're like, <laughs> tell, me, tell me which way the E's are going, you know, right. you know up, down, right, left, you know, and, and then you just hear this noise. And he's like, how does that look? And you're like, wow, that's better. You know, and, well, tell me now. And you, and you tell him what you see. And then he says, well, let's try this. And you're like, holy cow, that's even better. Like, you just <laughs> yep. can't believe the improvement with seemingly no change. And mm-hmm. and for me, that's sort of been the recovery process um, that, that I've experienced, is that when I'm uh, trying to stay close to God, when I'm trying to, to allow Jesus to love people through me, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm good. It doesn't mean I do it all the time. It doesn't mean I'm great at it. Right. Actually, statistically, if we do a mathematical equation, I'm pretty bad at it. <laughs> right. But I'm glad we uh, can't do that. <laughs> but, oh yeah, I know. But I'm 
Yeah, but so much better, so much better than than it's ever been, and not because of me. I mean, I, I want to make right. that clear. Um, God has a great tendency to reach in bad places and pull out, you know, potentially good hearts, and if they respond uh, to His grace and walk with Him, uh, right. incredible things can happen for people. You're listening to the best of Real Presence Live. Currently, our hosts are visiting with Michael Donnelly about how God led him from alcoholism to a new life. Right. And I think, isn't that that the real mystery at times is, as you said, grace, like what's going to make somebody change? Like what was it about this moment or that moment? And and to just trust that God's always giving us the grace we need. Always. It's it's not like I have to wait for the one grace train to come by. (laughs) And if I miss it, I miss it. Yeah. Right. It's always it's always in the depot, man. It's always waiting for you. Yeah. The the uh the the you know, that question of how or why you know, why does one make it not I that's too big of a question for yeah. me. I, yeah. I will say this. Yeah. I will say this. After about six months of sobriety, my mom wrote me a letter and she told me the story of Monica and Augustine. We had a oh. Catholic priest in our family who was really instrumental in my life. His name was Father Gavin Quinn, tremendous man. And she had written Father Gavin and told him about me. And when my father passed away, Father Gavin was a great inspiration to myself and to my family. And so he knew intimately what was going on with me. And he basically told her what, you know, I believe it was Ambrose told Monica. And that was, hey, stop telling Augustine about Jesus and start telling Jesus about Augustine. So he flipped that oh, and he told my mom, yeah. stop telling yeah. Mike about Jesus and start <laughs> telling Jesus about Mike. And it was six months to the day that I got sober. And my, my mom wrote me a letter and told me that story. And I just, um, I think we get sober on the wings of other people's prayers, not because we're diligent, hardworking people with a strong will, quite the contrary. I, I think it's because other people intervene for us. And, uh, if you're out there today, whether you suffer from something or, or whether someone you love is suffering from something, hands and knees, knees and elbows, Beg the Lord's mercy and beg His in, uh, His intercession and uh, in these people's lives, and uh, you know, a miraculous things can happen. We're His children. Our Dad's listening to our prayers. We're yeah. His children. He's listening, and um, you know, He won't override our will, um, but He can certainly create some <laughs> really bad scenarios that look awful that are really <laughs> His hand working in mercy. Yeah. yeah. And you're never too far gone. No, that's right. That's a hundred percent right. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been a pleasure. Any last thoughts before we let you go? Um, just, you know, if you think if you think there's a problem, you know, and, and, and you'd like to talk or, or if I can be of service to anybody in any way, um, you know, please reach out to the radio station. They can, they can give you my name and number, and I'd be happy to talk with you. And um, who knows? Maybe there's a brighter world for us. So all God right. bless you all. And, God bless you, Michael. Uh, thanks for this opportunity. Thank you, Michael. Okay, well, we'll be right back after this quick break. You're uh, listening to Real Presence Live. Up next on the best of Real Presence Live, it's our Straight Talk call-in segment with Father Ross LaFromboise of the Diocese of Fargo. Please, no live calls today. We'll return to Taking Your Straight Talk Calls on Monday. <laughs> 